Uh, let's go to Numbers chapter, 20, uh, chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Now, I want to consider with you this morning something that will encourage us uh, and, uh, and challenge us and it will serve that both of those purposes but uh, ultimately it will edify us, praise the Lord. And so, um, I want to consider, um, well, you know, there's a lot of, well, there's, there's debate as we know in Christian circles which relates to the issue of salvation and sanctification and, uh, you know, there's um, uh, disagreement as to exactly, you know, the, the divine side and the human aspect of, of human responsibility and, you know, which is appropriated to God and which is responsibility of man and, you know, bringing all that together and so it's a, it causes a, a degree of debate but there's a tension that, is, that does exist and you can lean too much to one side to, to the neglect of the other and vice versa and so the aim is to bring the balance, the, the aim is to understand um, you know, the, the God's part and our part because both are relevant and both exist. And so the issue of the divine enabling of God is clearly revealed and taught in the Bible but as, uh, at the same time so is the issue of human responsibility and the choices that, that we have to make. And so we find in the New Testament this tension, if you want to call it, that is highlighted where in the book of Philippians, for example, it says, um, uh, he who has begun a good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so, it's, it's the work of God. God has begun a good work and he will complete it. So, we have clearly the divine element that is associated with the work of salvation and sanctification in the Christian life. But yet in the Philippians in chapter 2, we're told, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so there we find reference to the human element that is associated and connected with this particular work. And so we find this clearly stated in other aspects as well in the New Testament. But how do we go about making the distinction between what is God's part and what is our part. Or Sidlow Baxter who wrote a book um, uh, entitled His Part and Ours. Because clearly in the Bible it is clearly stipulated and stated that both exist and they both coexist and they both are to work together. They are, if you want to call it, um, um, uh, two sides to one coin. Now, I want to consider in light of that thought the, the Old Testament and there is the issue of the Old Testament typology that we want to consider because I believe and I'm convinced that, that this concept of the divine and human element is captured in two characters in the Old Testament and those two individuals that we want to look at and consider are two familiar portion, uh, sorry, two, two, two familiar men, and those names are the the famous ones, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, and in the names themselves we find rich spiritual 
instruction. We find rich spiritual uh, realities that serve to teach us something about the ways of God and the way in which God works and the way in which we are to work in conjunction with God. As I said, this is two sides to one coin. Because we know, and as we, as Christians, we understand as we read the Bible that there were only two men out of a nation of people that entered the promised land. And they were Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. And so therefore, in light of this, we also understand that the rest of the Israelites were scattered in the wilderness and these only two, these two men. And so therefore, when we consider them, there is something there for us to tap into and to understand about God's purposes. You see, if we're going to live the, the, the successful, if you want to use the word successful Christian life, if we're going to um, uh, um, identify with the rich spiritual truths that, this, that Joshua and Caleb teach us, then we are going to have to understand those distinctions and what's required. You see, if we're going to, so to speak, spiritually speaking, enter into the promised land, if we're going to obtain into the fullness of our inheritance, if we are going to uh, live in the land that flows with milk and honey, if we're going to be filled with the Spirit of God and grow into the full stature of Christ Jesus, then in light of these spiritual realities, we're going to have to understand the issue of Joshua and Caleb. We're going to have to understand the issue of what which is divine and that which is human related because they must work together for the greater purpose of God in the life of the believer. This is illustrated because the Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Praise the Lord, I don't have to do anything. But yet the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. And so you have these seemingly contradictions of which they're not. They just have to be understood in their proper place so that we can be all that God wants us to be. So let's consider this together as we read in Joshua, oh sorry, uh, Numbers chapter 14. And we're going to start from verse 24. God is speaking and uh, we, we're picking up this story but let's read the text first. Verse 24 onwards. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number from twenty years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. Now this is a very interesting portion 
of Scripture, especially in the context as it relates to the nation of Israel and the purposes of God. Because here's God, He's brought these, uh, this, uh, them out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt and He's bringing them into the promised land that He has promised them, that He has already given to them. He said, this is your inheritance. And so you know the story just in the previous uh, chapter there where the 12 uh, uh, spies go into the land to, to, to check it out and um, Joshua and Caleb are amongst the 12 uh, and the Bible says that 10 of them bring back a negative report and they come back and they say this is a terrible situation and they begin to relay a message that was uh, caused fear and unbelief amongst the people. The people reacted, they embraced, the, they listened to the ten rather than Joshua and Caleb. You know the story. And so here it is, God is now responding to the circumstances and he's bringing a scathing judgment upon the children of Israel. And he says, you know what, enough is enough. Up until this point he has persevered, up until this point he has dwelt with them and uh, uh, in light of their constant complainings and rebellions and, uh, uh, and all else that he had to endure, but here God says enough is enough, uh, they are not going to enter the land and therefore their bodies will be scattered in the wilderness. Now, in light of that, we are told in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things happened as an example for us. And so when we think of Israel and we think of their failure to inherit the inheritance that God had promised them, it's teaching us. Because in the Bible says that, that all passed through the Red Sea in Corinthians, that all uh, uh, you know, drank from the same rock and all ate the same spiritual food, but with most of them God was not well pleased. And there's a spiritual lesson. There's a counterpart for us to understand that if we're not if we are not mindful, if we are not careful, then we too as Christians can fail to obtain all that God has for us in Christ and we, if we're not careful, can even have our bodies. It's not impossible for us to have our bodies, spiritually speaking, scattered in the wilderness. This is a reality. And as a, over the longevity of years as a, as a Christian and as a minister, as a pastor, you realise how serious this is. That's why there's two that entered the land and the rest of them are scattered in the wilderness. That teaches us something. Let him who stands take a hint lest he fall because we're dealing with something here and it's important for us that we understand this because God forbid that we would fall into the same place as the, the, the children of Israel. That's why when we consider the, 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 the persons of Joshua and Caleb there is something for us to consider, there is something for us to learn. Because Joshua is very, very significant and uh, we're just going to derive our truths and our realities simply from the names themselves. Nothing super spiritual, super deep here, but when you consider the name Joshua and when you consider the name Caleb, there is a spiritual truth to be uh, uh, understood and applied into our lives. And remember, we're talking about the facilitation of entering into uh, the issue of salvation and also sanctification and the fullness of Christ. Now, we understand, I'm sure many are familiar with what the name Joshua means. What the name Joshua stands for. In the Bible, in the Hebrew, it is clearly uh, rooted in the fact that Jehovah is salvation. Joshua. 
Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah saves. It is the root word, as we know, to the name Jesus himself. And so we understand that God is our salvation. When we talk about Joshua and we talk about Caleb, when we focus on the name Joshua, we are exclusively talking about God himself. We are talking about the purpose of God. We are talking about the function of God in salvation and also as it relates to the sanctification in the Christian life. But the two go hand in hand and without God we can do nothing. We cannot save ourselves. Nobody. The whole initiative, first and foremost, is God's. None of us can save ourselves. He is our saviour. And so, in light of that, we understand that the divine element, that unless we are drawn, no one comes to me unless the Spirit of God draws them. No one uh, comes to me unless God grants it. There is a dimension that is purely the work of God. But that doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility. But nevertheless, it is important for us to first understand this. This is the starting point. Just as Joshua was chosen by God to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt, so Jesus, hallelujah, is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the author of our salvation. And he is the one that has brought us and translated us from darkness into light. He is the one that has given us eternal life. He is the one that has given us the forgiveness of sins. And we understand without him we can do nothing, without him we are nothing. And everything we have is a result of all that he is. You see, in light of that fact, we also begin to realise as Christians that we have received an inheritance in Christ. The Bible talks about this throughout the, uh, 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 everywhere, but in terms of the epistles and as there's instruction and education and teaching, that we would grasp this, that our understanding would be enlightened, that we would have a revelation of all that Christ is to us. Because when you get saved, you just know that you're saved. But you realise that there's a whole lot more, amen, that you have in Christ. But let me say this, just because you have obtained an inheritance in Christ, it does not mean you have possessed your inheritance in Christ. You see, there is a progression. That's why Brother Sam was talking about earlier, uh, uh, back in 1999, he's talking about an area of his life that was, if you want to call it, uh, uh, not uh, his faith was weakened in that aspect and he neglected something. But now, having grown into the greater stature in Christ, there is a confidence, there is an assurance, there is a, a possession of that which he didn't possess then. You see, this is the way it works and this is the progression of the Christian life for all of us. And we have to grow into that. We have to possess our possessions just because we have received an inheritance doesn't mean we've possessed it. I remember seeing something on the news. They were saying that um, there's billions of dollars that have never been claimed. People have got money. You better check it out. You might, be, you might have, have money you don't know about. And look it up and say, hey, gosh, I've got two million. All I've got to do is go get it. You see, that's what Christians are like, you know. We're in, I'm a Christian, but, you know, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, I think God loves me. I think God, yeah, yeah, it's going to help. No, 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 no. You better look up what your inheritance is and understand what's yours. 
and go get it and possess it. Hallelujah. But you see, we have to understand, well, one of the things we learn to understand in possessing our inheritance in Christ as a Christian is is that we realise that in the Christian life there's fortified cities. You know what? There's giants in the land. I don't want to discourage you if you're a new Christian, but there's giants there. There's giants in the land. There's fortified cities. And uh, uh, there are enemies that need to be dispossessed. And so what we learn from this is that there's a war that has to be fought. There's a battle that has to be engaged in. You cannot neglect this. You can't avoid it. You see, even though God in His grace was bringing them through the wilderness and bringing them into their inheritance, they had an understanding and a realisation, hey, wait a minute, this is not all that I thought it was. And uh, uh, because they went into the land and they said, wait a minute, there's giants there. There's fortified cities. Whoa, I didn't realise, God didn't tell us about that. That was part of the bargain. But you see, that's the reality. And these are some of the realities of the Christian life. But there's a big button there and I'll get to that in a moment. Don't think that that's where it stops because far from that... But you see, we, we come to realise these things. And so, you know, even Joshua, we talk about Joshua being a type of Christ and we talk about Joshua uh, uh, in, in the context of salvation and sanctification and bringing us into the fullness of our inheritance in Christ. But you see, even Joshua as an individual, he, even though he typifies Christ, he still had to learn this lesson as an individual, didn't he? Here's a man chosen by God as the successor to Moses and he's been ordained and he's going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land and yet uh, here he is, he's ready to go in and what happens? Let's turn to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5 and we'll see Joshua's encounter in verse 13 because he meets someone as he's about to embark on his first battle at Jericho. In verse 13, it says, And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for the adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your uh, sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. You see, Joshua, was uh, he was ready to go in the name of the Lord and yet he has this encounter with the angel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christophany as we call it, uh, and he says, who are you? Are you on our side or are you on the other side? <laughs> and Jesus uh, says, oh, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And then Joshua realises and has a revelation of who he's with uh, and he falls flat to his face because uh, Joshua realises uh, that he's not the commander. The Jesus, amen, or God, is the commander. And he takes his rightful place. 
You see, Joshua had to learn the lesson that it was, uh, I mean, he understood it and he quoted it, you know. Yes, the Lord has given this, you know, Lord's on my side, you know, he's quoting all the scriptures. But I tell you, until he finds his place and allows the, the commander to take over and bring him into that place. So, you see, there's that divine element. Joshua had to embrace that. You see, what that teaches us is we realise as Christians that human effort in and of itself does not bring us into the fullness of God, does it? Now, listen to what I said. Human effort in and of itself does not. I'm not saying it's not required. I'm not suggesting it's irrelevant. Actually, far from it. But what I'm saying is, is you have to have a proper understanding of your A, B and C. You must understand the starting point. You must understand this is what we learn as Christians because in, as we embark on the Christian life, we're going to do this, we're going to do that and we're, we're doing this and we're, but we realise sometimes that, that we have been moving and operating in our own strength and in our own effort. And then when we come to the end of ourselves, we too meet the commander of the Lord's army and we go, okay, now I get it. Now I get it. And it doesn't mean that we stop in our efforts, so to speak, depending on what the circumstances are, but it means now we understand who's in control. We understand the order. We understand how this works. And it's not by might. It's not by power but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And we have that revelation of the divine power of God. So rather now than Joshua thinking that things are dependent upon him, he realises that things are dependent on the commander of the Lord's army. Think of the story that we find in Second um, uh, Chronicles chapter 20 with uh, King Jehoshaphat. You know the story there where uh, the uh, children of Israel have uh, three nations, a million men army that has come against them. They are utterly, utterly outnumbered. They are, uh, from, from, from the natural viewpoint, they are absolutely overwhelmed with the reality of the circumstances that they are in, involved and, and are facing and Jehoshaphat comes before the Lord and God responds to him in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. And the Bible says, uh, and he said, Listen, all you of Judah, this is the prophet, and uh, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. How often do we think, This is my battle. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to fight, but in this instance, we know that they didn't have to fight. They just had to praise the beauty of holiness and God came, come down and destroyed the enemy. But that, not, that doesn't happen in every battle, does it? But there's an understanding here that we sometimes forget in the Christian life because we're too busy fighting. That sometimes we forget there's a commander in the Lord's army. And sometimes we have to come back to those simple truths where we just find our rest in Christ, our peace in God and praise the beauty of holiness and God gets involved and he, and he brings about a victory. He wrought a change of circumstances as only he can. But you see, the battle is not ours. 
is God. And so the lesson is clear. We cannot do it in our own strength. We can't do it in and of ourselves. Joshua is a type of Christ. Christ is our salvation. The Bible says Christ has been made unto us sanctification. You see, this is our position. This is first and foremost our standing in Christ Jesus. And then you proceed on the path of sanctification. Or, you know, uh, as James says, receive with meekness the implanted word that your souls may be saved. In other words, not that we're already saved, but there is a process of salvation that we are saved and we are being saved. We are being changed by God. And he is working in us to accomplish that. And we work with him, as we will see in just a moment. But you see, we can't do it, church. The ten spies that we find prior to our text they were right in their assessment. When they looked and they said, you know what, oh man, this is very overwhelming. There's, there's, there's giants, there's fortified cities, there's nations in there. Uh, you realise what's involved. But you see, they only saw it from a human dimension. They did not trust the word of God. They took it. It's one thing to understand that you can't do it, but when you begin to speak that you can't do it, then you are failing to understand who Joshua is. You are failing to understand who God is because God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. We're talking about nothing is impossible with God. You see, isn't it interesting? You read your Bible. We understand salvation and you read the book of Romans and you read how wonderful our salvation is, that we've been saved from our sins and we've been delivered and also we are being empowered. And then you come to Romans chapter 8. And I tell you, Romans chapter 8 to me is the promised land of the Spirit in the Christian life. That's where we live. We don't live in, you know, Romans chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 even all have their place and there are spiritual truths in there but the climax, the, the peak of the mountain is Romans chapter 8. And you read that and say, is that possible? Is that possible? Well, absolutely it's possible. Because if God says, what does it say in Romans? If God be for us, Romans 8, who can be against us? You betcha it's possible. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So if you ask the question, is it possible to live and to attain to what is written in the word of God, the answer is absolutely yes. You say, but there's giants. Doesn't matter. There's fortified cities. Absolutely, but doesn't matter. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And then we learn to speak the word of God. We transition in our faith and we declare God's word. And there lies the victory, amen, our faith. And as we speak the word of God, as we believe the word of God with a conviction of heart, because that's what speaking the word of God is. We're not just, you know, we're not just speaking you know, the word faith crap. Oh, wrong word there. Rubbish.
we're talking about a conviction of heart where, where you believe in the heart and with the mouth confession is made. And then you speak it and I tell you, there's power in that. Oh, glory to God. See, Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 it says for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings the captain of our salvation is Jesus Christ and if Jesus learnt obedience from the things in which he suffered as it tells us in Hebrews 5.8, then so too will we. You see, but it's in the midst of our sufferings, it's in the midst of our trials, it's there our faith gets tested. It's there, amen, that we get forged. Amen, and we're going to be, be, the inner man is going to be strengthened or we will weaken. It all depends on what we believe and in whom we believe. This is the issue of faith. And so, the Bible says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And so, therefore, it is up to us through the grace of God and through the power of God and through the provision of God, through God himself, to obtain it. And it's in obtaining it that I want to turn our attention to Caleb. Because Caleb answers the question, for us because just as Joshua is a type of Christ Caleb this morning is a type for man he represents you and I in the, uh, and it's, or in other words Caleb represents our part in this process because you can't it's not enough to say it's all, all God it is all God but you see God is still you know the Bible says that they limited the Holy One of Israel You see, we find in, uh, especially in the time of Joshua, many times where God speaks to Joshua and to the people and he says, be bold, be courageous because here's what I'm giving you. I'm showing you, I'm telling you and here it all is. But he says, what I want from you is I want you to be bold and I want you to be courageous. You have to have those indispensable qualities if you're going to embark and possess what I have for you. Be bold. Be courageous. Don't be bound by fear and intimidation or unbelief. Be bold and be courageous is the word of the Lord that is reiterated over and over throughout that period there of the children of Israel. You see, we must possess a different spirit. I want you to look at our text because it says in verse 14 about Caleb. And it's interesting because in verse 30 it talks about Caleb and Joshua inheriting the land. But what's interesting, it's only in verse 24 it says Caleb because he has a different spirit. It doesn't say Joshua had a different spirit. Okay? It says Caleb had a different spirit. There's something unique about Caleb. Not that it's uh, different so much to Joshua in essence, but nevertheless we're talking about Caleb and this is what the scripture says in verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, 
in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. You see, uh, Caleb has a different spirit. And what is that spirit that Caleb has? What's that? The Holy Spirit. Well, it, it, uh, it um, enacts, if you want to call it, the power of the Spirit. Absolutely, because you can't have Caleb without Joshua. But you see, there is something here that is being revealed to us and again, it's simply found in the name Caleb. Now, what's interesting, as I began to study this and, uh, and look up the uh, study deep, more deeply and further into the name Caleb, there's some conjecture about what it actually represents. Um, and so there's two kind of trains of thoughts there. But rather than take one or the other, to me they complement each other. To me they actually teach us and reveal something in and of itself. So rather than say, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's this um, understanding that the word Caleb comes from a, uh, a compound Hebrew word and uh, which is all or whole and so therefore we get the, the, the understanding that Caleb is wholehearted, wholehearted. Okay? But you see, that's one aspect that is considered but there's also another aspect that is presented because when you go into the, the Strong's Concordance and you go into the Hebrew and you bring up the word Caleb, it's quite interesting what it actually says. Let me read it to you. It's, it talks about and comes in from the word uh, Hebrew Caleb and it says a sense of force or a sense of force or being forcible. So picture that for a moment, being forcible. And that in and of itself takes you to a root word and that root word is the word for Hebrew which is dog. So people say, well, it can't be dog. Caleb can't mean dog. Now, if you look at that that root word that it comes from, it means obviously a dog but it means to to attack. uh, Part of the, the meaning of the word means to attack. And so when I look at the word attack, when I look at the word Caleb being forcible, wholehearted, to me I don't see any contradiction. I actually see a, a, an overall picture of the person and character of Caleb that we must possess. This is the different spirit that Caleb had and this is the different spirit that we have to have. We have to have a, a, a boldness. We have to be courageous. We have to be forceful. You can't be passive in this war, folks. You can't just sit back and say, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, I mean, there may be instances where God will direct you to it, but, but generally speaking, you can't just sit back and just think somehow it's all going to happen, it's all going to come. You see, the word, uh, uh, one man interprets the word Caleb and he says bold and then he says the word impetuous. Now, I had to look up the word impetuous, okay? But I'm going to give you the definition. But the word impetuous means to be characterised by an undue haste and lack of thought or deliberation. It means to be hot-headed and to be impulsive. Now, you can think of that in the negative but we are seeing it in the positive. Hallelujah. 
Because Caleb, not like the ten, they sat there and they reasoned it out hmm, and they reasoned them themselves into unbelief. That's what they did. They talked themselves into unbelief. But Caleb said, hey, what are you talking about? God said it's ours. I don't care what you see. I don't care that there's giants. I don't care. And we, we, we look like grasshoppers in, uh, they look, we look like grasshoppers in their side, but they look like grasshoppers in our side. Because that's how Caleb saw them. You see, you've got to, you've got to understand that, um, when we see through the eyes of faith, when we are impulsive in, in, in faith, amen, I tell you, you don't have time to not believe God. And so, you know, uh, it's, it's a quality of character, if you want to put it that way, that uh, Caleb would be undue and hasteful and lack of thought and deliberation. Not that he didn't deliberate, but I tell you, he didn't dwell on it too long because he already knew what God had said. He already knew what God had done. And so, he was already fully convinced what God could do. And that's how it is for us, amen. That's how it should be for us. You know, the word impetuous also means to be marked by force. This is where the word Caleb, forcible. And so, uh, because you've got to have an attitude of faith. You can't just be passive. You've got to believe God. And in doing so, it's got to be seen. You know, and, and this thought is not foreign to the Bible because the Bible says in the New Testament, in Matthew, I think it's eleven twelve. Uh, where it says, or 12.11, one of the two, it says that, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. You see, because it, it is people that are forcing themselves to lay a hold of the kingdom of God. That is faith. That's the spirit that God is looking for. That is a different spirit. From the days of John the Baptist to now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent Take it by force. You're not going to get it if you're just going to sit back. Oh, is Jesus, is Jesus really the Saviour? You know, let's reason this out. Let's talk about it. Let's have a philosophical discussion. And someone's just got to get up and say, "It is. I'm going. I'm going to go. I'm going to go lay hold of it. Hallelujah. And be hasty. Don't deliberate. Just believe God. If God says it, I believe it. Full stop. Oh, that's very unintelligent. No, that's faith. Oh, you're, you're not as intelligent as so-and-so. They don't have the intellectual capacities that I have. Oh, don't they? It doesn't, you know, faith is a level of all of us, church. It doesn't matter what your intellectual capacities are. Sometimes it's better that you have less. Hmm. <laughs> I just believe God. Oh, you're stupid. No. God says, you're oh, great. <laughs> you're great. And so, we need to have a faith that won't let go. Amen. We need to have a faith that lays a hold of God. We're talking that when Josh and Caleb is being identified as having a different spirit, it is an attitude of heart. It's an attitude of faith. And we understand this to be the case. You see, we, in the Christian life, we begin to realise when you embark on the Christian life, isn't it true? You get saved and you're like, praise the Lord, glory to God. And then as the, as the, as the days and the weeks and months and years go on, you go, oh my gosh, it's, it can be tough. 
Now, that's a, that's a fair comment to make. I'm not saying this. There's giants out there. There's fortified cities. Let's not deny the reality. But don't forget the other reality. Because as much as you might speak that, don't forget to then add the d- divine dimension. Because there's a Joshua factor here. And so, uh, it's in light of that that we, we can say, you know what, I don't care that there are giants because there are. I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to, have to, to fight the, the beasts of Ephesus. I'm going to have to engage the enemy. There are times when I'm going to be going through levels of suffering that I'm going to be feeling so overwhelmed. I'm going to be feeling so weak. But like Paul, I'm going to learn that lesson that says his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And we can declare that with such assurance that we can find strength and we can be victorious because God always leads us to triumph in Christ. Jesus said in the Gospels many times for those that were pressing in to forcefully take hold of the kingdom of God, what did Jesus say to them? Your faith has made you well. But it's his faith. Well, why did Jesus say it was your faith? Is it his faith? Is it your faith? Whose faith is it? I'll let you discuss that. <laughs> but my point is, is that Jesus says your faith has made you well. You have, you have obtained something. You have obtained. You know, the woman who was desperate, uh, she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus stopped and he says, I perceive power has gone out from me. Is that your faith has made you well? Your forceful spirit, you have a different spirit, and therefore you have obtained what you've desired. You see, like I said to you before, without faith it is impossible to please God. We have to have that spirit of faith, church, because I tell you, in the trials of life, there are times when you feel like you just want to give up. You ever been at that place? You just, and I, it's real. You just, you're, you're like you're hanging by a thread. You feel like you're about to go over the edge. That's why the Bible says, don't cast away your confidence. For it's great reward. Because I tell you, there are times when you just feel like you're just so overwhelmed but yet you can stand and speak in faith the word of God and it can change everything. You know, I think about the story of Jacob and Jacob has an encounter with God and the Bible says that God, people talk about Jacob wrestled with God and he did and that's the point I want to make but the Bible says that God came down to wrestle with him. God came down to wrestle with Jacob for a specific reason, but we're not going to go into that. But nevertheless, there are times where God comes down to wrestle with us. But you know what? I'm going to be. Uh, but yet, God wants to bring us to that place where He uh, brings us from Jacob to Israel, and we understand that we have no confidence in the flesh, and there's, a, there's truths that surround that. But the Bible says that He wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And then he said, let, the angel of the Lord said, let me go. And he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Is that, now, is that Jacob in his sinister character or is that Jacob in his faith? Oh, I, that's Jacob in his faith. He's become prince with God. Israel is his name. 
And so in his attitude of faith, he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And that's the spirit that we have to have. This is a different spirit that we need to possess. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, again, don't draw back. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The Bible tells us that the just shall live by faith. Scripture tells us, Romans 1, from faith to faith. Our faith, amen, is to grow stronger and stronger, not weaker and weaker. And this is the, and this is the trials and the battles that we all have to face as Christians. We pass through this, each one of us will, and will our faith grow stronger and stronger or will it grow weaker and weaker? It depends on what we do and what we say. In Hebrews it warns us that they did not mix the word of God with faith. Therefore they failed to enter into his rest. They failed to enter into the promised land. They failed to obtain the fullness of their inheritance in Christ. And so many Christians can fall into this trap right here. Actually, just go there for a moment. Hebrews chapter 3. Because Paul, oh, the writer here is... is um, is highlighting this because you see there's a problem you know fear let me say this church fear can lead to rebellion fear can lead to rebellion and so this has to be understood because in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 5 or 6 I think it is actually I just missed let me find it here okay It says, but Christ, verse 6, but Christ has a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. This is what Brother Sam was just saying. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with that generation said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways so I swore in my wrath they would not enter my rest. Verse 12, Beware brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That's a, that's a serious warning. And it's drawing on the Old Testament teaching here of Israel which we have been considering because fear will lead to rebellion. You see, I've met people and they're so fearful and uh, sometimes uh, I've, you know, so I've become, over the years I've become less intolerant of people's fears. You can have a fear to a point but when God brings you to the point of faith your fear will collide with faith and you're going to have to choose. Are you going to believe God or are you going to be bound in fear? And that, that choice is a critical choice, church. And so here we are told, Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart and of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So can you see here how it all works? And so we have to have a different spirit. And there was only two that inherited the promised land. This is the fear. You know, as a, as a, as a pastor, I realise that there is a huge responsibility as Pastor Werner would and anyone that uh, is involved in ministry and serving. You realise that uh, the, the whole reason why God has given teachers and pastors and prophets and apostles is for the edification 
of the church that we would all grow uh, and, you know, being joined and knitted together, we would grow into the full stature of Christ. You see, that's the promised land. It's the full possession and apprehension of Christ. And when you come into that place, what a place of peace. What a place of joy. What a place of hope. I mean, it doesn't matter what goes on around me. You can turn on the tally and North Korea is about to nuke somebody. It doesn't matter. It's like, I've got peace in my heart. I've, I'm, I'm alright. I've got the victory. I'm not moved by these things. Because I have possessed my inheritance. Hallelujah. You see, let me just bring you back to Caleb for a moment. Because we've, asked, we've identified this fact about his name and of him possessing a different spirit. But you know what I like about Caleb? Is he always had that spirit, amen. He always had that spirit. Even at the age of 85 years old, the Bible says he had the same spirit. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 14. Turn with me, Joshua chapter 14. It says... This is about Caleb. We'll start from verse 6. It says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me, Joshua, me and you, in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God, wholehearted. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so is my strength for war, for, uh, for going out and for coming in. What a testimony, church. And then he says that... Um, now, therefore, give me this mountain. It's like, give me the mountain, man. I'll take it on. And he says, now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, the giants, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh as an inheritance. I read that, I get excited, I get goosebumps. Because he's he's 85, you know, isn't that right? It doesn't matter how physically old we get past the winter, is that right? The body's going to get weaker in that sense. But I tell you what, our faith gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And I said it before and I'll say it again, Smith Wigglesworth said, I'm a thousand times bigger on the inside. Because I tell you, his faith was such that he had possessed it. He was living in it. And that's how it is, amen. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so here we have 
Caleb, what a testimony. What an example. A different spirit. This is the spirit we have to have, church. But, you know, let's go a little bit further because it says that he inherited Hebron. And I looked up the word Hebron and this word literally means, in Hebrew, it means the seat of association. The seat of association. And it comes from a root word in the Hebrew which means a society. And I tell you now, church, this is symbolic individually and corporately as the church because that society that we are a part of is the church. This is what God had been ordained from the foundations of the earth, the church. And the Bible says as, uh, in, in Ephesians 2 verse 6, it says, having raised us up together with Christ, we have been seated in heavenly places in Christ. That's the seat of association. We are seated with Christ. Oh, glory to God. But you know what that is? That's the Jesus factor. That's the Joshua factor. Let me turn your attention to the Caleb factor in Revelations chapter 3, verse 21. It says, Jesus is speaking to the church of Laodicea and he says in verse 21, to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne. We were already there, but we're being told now we have to overcome in order to sit on there. Can you see the difference? Can you see the tension here? Can you see the distinctions that are being made? Yet, in Christ we are there, but that doesn't mean that we've received an inheritance, but that doesn't mean we've possessed our inheritance. And here Jesus is saying that if we will be, live as overcomers, then we too will, he says, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so the Bible is telling us that we need to be overcomers. The Bible tells us that we are overcomers in Christ. But you see, that doesn't make it automatic. You have to become an overcomer. You have to go in. You have to dispossess the enemy. You're going to have to learn to fight. You're going to have to learn to trust God. You're going to have to learn to lay a hold of the promises of God, which are yes and amen. And as you learn the language of faith, and as you begin to possess and lay a hold of Christ, uh, who has laid a hold of you, amen, you will enter into that promised land. You will enter into the fullness of God. And so you see here that there is the Caleb, the Joshua factor and the Caleb factor. And the two are both both sides to one coin because they both work in conjunction to the ultimate plan and purpose of God. And I pray that you can see it. But I want to leave you with one last thought because Caleb inherited Hebron. That's what we'll inherit. But the Bible tells us that Caleb was the son of Jephunneh. And the Hebrew word for Jephunneh means this, he will be prepared. He will be prepared. Caleb was prepared. He's the son of Jephunneh. And I tell you now, if we are going to possess our possessions, then we have to be prepared too. Can you say amen? This is what we learn in the Christian life. It's like, wait wait a minute, these things now are not as automatic as we once thought. You're going to have to possess them. And to possess them, you're going to have to prepare yourself. How do I prepare myself? Oh, 
Read it. Read the Word. And then you learn to quote the Word. You see, David just needed one stone slung at Goliath and that giant came falling down. Just one promise from God sometimes is all that's required. Just Jesus spoke to the devil and he quoted the scripture as, as it is written. When you learn to use the word of God as a sword, a sword, sword doesn't sit there. A sword gets out and you know what? It gets messy. And you must use the sword. You must become an overcomer. You must begin to be, prepare yourself for battle. And when you do so, you will... Having been prepared, you understand the God factor, you understand your responsibility and when you go in faith, in walking with God, you are guaranteed to win. You are guaranteed to win. And so part of my function this morning is to prepare you and me to inherit and possess our inheritance. Can you say Amen. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the word of God this morning. God, let us ask ourselves this morning as we allow you to search our hearts and as we, Lord, through your spirit, search our hearts. Lord, what spirit are we of? What spirit are we of, Lord? We don't want to be like the multitude that was scattered in the wilderness. God forbid that we would, Lord, fall and be scattered in that place. We realise, God, that uh, if we're going to enter into the fullness of our inheritance, then we're going to have to, Lord, have a different spirit. Just as Joshua speaks of you, so Caleb speaks of us. Your part and our part. Lord, let us understand this and let us go forward in the power of your might. But having taken up the whole armour of God that we may be able to withstand and in that evil day being able to stand against the strategies of our Lord. Hallelujah. I thank you, God, for the victory. I thank you, Lord, for the inheritance. I thank you, God, for everything that you have given us. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Oh God.